Chuck with the Well Done Foundation. Thank you for joining the program here today. A couple reasons to talk with Mr. Curtis Shuck. Uh, in addition to just hey, chewing the fat a little bit, always nice to catch up on what's going on in Mr. Curtis's Shuck life because he's worked in the supply chain from the, was it, was it the Port of Vancouver? Was that what it was? Yeah, okay, that's Port of, right, America's Vancouver. And then, and then there was uh, some railroad stuff, wasn't there, in the Bakken for a little bit? Yeah, I was uh, president of Red River Oil Field Services. We developed the Stony Creek rail yard with the first unit train sand uh, facility in there and in Williston itself. Pretty exciting stuff. And now he's in Montana. Uh, I believe that your your location is Montana in terms of your headquarters, but you'll do this anywhere. You're plugging abandoned wells, and you've been doing it now for, is it a couple years now, two, three years? How, how many years have you been doing this now? Well, a year and a half, and we're just celebrating our, you know, we're just celebrating on Earth Day, uh, April 22nd. We're celebrating our uh, one-year anniversary from the first orphan well that we plugged Remember, there's about a six to nine month uh, period of monitoring that uh, occurs prior to. So, yeah, we actually got started uh, about midway through 2019. That's what I thought. I know it's been a few years because uh, I remember when you first started, I'm like, oh, that is this is a great idea. Uh, I had heard a little bit about the orphan well issue, the abandoned well issue. And what's the third term? There's a, there's abandoned wells, there's orphan wells. And what's the other one? Uh, marginal wells. Okay. And anyway, so it's it's a whole industry to the tune to where the other reason we wanted to have you on is to get your reaction about President Biden coming out and having specifically a discussion about allocating dollars towards uh, capping, discovering, closing these abandoned wells. So uh, let's start with that. Have you Are you aware of this, uh, the president's yeah. speech? And, and let's talk a little bit about that since it is kind of newsy. Yeah, no, it is very newsy and uh, it's exciting stuff for sure. You know, one of the, one of the challenges that we found in our um, you know, foray into this uh, exciting and, uh, you know, kind of brand new territory that dare to go where others haven't uh, anyway. I feel like an episode of Star Trek, but, um, or sometimes it's the Twilight Zone, kind of depends on the day, right? But, <laughs> um, you know, what's awesome about where the administration is going is that, you know, federal lands, uh, which have more than their fair share of orphan wells across the country, but, you know, they tend to be a lot more uh, complex, I guess, is the best way to put that, in terms of access, uh, dealing with the various, um, you know, the various agencies that have responsibility, whether it's the, you know, uh, natural resources or, the, you know, BIA, depending on where they're at. I think that this, this uh, money that the administration dedicating towards this is likely you'll see likely going to be funneling into those uh, into those areas which are great because again it's super difficult and uh, for you know we've had 3.2 plus million wells across the U.S. it's a very much a target rich environment you know our focus is primarily on private land um, where access is a matter of working with um, various and certain research owners who uh 
who love to see us roll in because we're there to help, right? So is there going to be certain dollars then per state, per well, per oil company? Have they have they released, you know, any details type of a thing? Well, you know, anytime I see, you know, government money, my my, my cynical hat goes on, which, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 45, 46 years old now. So with age comes cynicism. But, you know, you always wonder, is this the usual suspects that are just going to get it? You know, and I think of somebody like yourself, who's really put a lot of passion into this project to where, you know, you've got a lot personally invested into this because of the social cause behind it, because you've worked in this industry so long, at least from my interpretation and assumptions, is that you you, you want to give back now in addition to your knowledge and, and service towards the industry. That was kind of why I thought you got into the whole abandoned well thing, but... Um, Absolutely, and you know, what's awesome about about this is that you know the results are immediate and you know you, you plug a well and, and the methane emissions stop you clean up the surface and you know the farmers are out there cultivating around it on the next cycle and it's pretty exciting and um, but you know for sure the like in any uh, program the devil will be in the details and you know our hope is that those dollars can find their way to deployment quickly uh, as the various agencies who become responsible for them then are able to, like I said, to get those dollars where they need to be, which is boots on the ground. Um, you know, what's awesome about this is certainly going to be the, the jobs segments, right? And how, you know, how that, and that's, you know, very stated, you know, directly by President Biden, that that's one of his focus areas is, you know, taking displaced oil workers and, or oil and gas workers and giving them, you know, a place to go. And obviously right now we're enjoying a bit of a, you know, a bit of an uptick, but you know, how that cycles. And it's nice to see that, uh, you know, that there's an opportunity here for not only the current oil field workers who may find themselves displaced, but gosh, you know, we've got a research project going on right now with Montana Tech, uh, Montana Technical University in Downing Butte, where we're doing some cement optimization studies. And, you know, there's a whole new group of, uh, call them kids, it seems like, but, you know, a whole new group of young and enthusiastic, um, you know, engineering types that are coming through these various programs that, that see this as a a very important industry, and it's awesome to uh, to know that you know they're going to be able to to move that legacy forward, which is great. So. I want to ask a very dumb question, but and I know every well is different, but how how are you plugging these wells? I mean, are you are you just you know cement and sand, or what's going on here? <laughs> well, it, you know it varies from formation to formation depending on things like depth and pressure and heat and the, you know, drinking water aquifers, um, you know, in the simplest of terms, we use what's typically in the industry referred to as a balanced plug, which is essentially a, a bottom uh, plug of a cement uh, mixture, just, uh, you know, straight grout, if you would, with some accelerators in it that allows you to get into the pay zone and, um, and create a really solid, you know, plug into that oil bearing formation. And then 
we come and do a, a gel spacer on top of that. And that gel spacer, what's really important with that, and you know, I mentioned earlier the Keevan Sunburst, which is the field that we're where we have our pilot project going on right now in Northern Montana. And you know, there's a lot of, uh, of layers, geologic formations above this Ellis sand, which is where the, the oil was discovered that are gas bearing. And so what this uh, gel spacer does is it allows uh, it to, to go out beyond the uh, edges of the casing through the various perforations from years of corrosion and really create a solid barrier. And that's part of what we're working on right now with Montana Tech is some of that design to really enhance that. And then uh, sitting on top then of that gel spacer is another surface cement plug. And, um, you know, we get cement all the way to surface. And, you know, again, what's awesome is that, you know, we're continually uh, testing and monitoring these wells all the way, not only, you know, pre-plugging, Jason, but then also all the way through the plugging process. And, you know, we see, like I said, we, typically we see as soon as we get that bottom plug set that the methane emissions uh, either dramatically drop or, or go away altogether. And certainly through the, the, the top or surface cementing or the spacer and surface cementing, we absolutely see, you know, the methane emissions go to zero, which is pretty darn rewarding if you think about it. So. What's the timeline on plugging some, one of these wells? You mentioned there's a monitoring process. You mentioned yeah. that there's, you know, some work. Is there is there a, a fundraising process too? I mean, you know, let's let's just kind of go through the five thousand foot time timeline if you don't mind. Oh, for sure. No. So our, you know, the first step is we we identify various candidate wells that fit in our program. They have to qualify into our orphan well program because uh, once we take that step to adopt a well. Uh, with the state for oil and gas, there's no do-overs or give-backs. And so we want to make sure that the well is, you know, has a significant uh, methane footprint, which, you know, makes sense because that's really the, you know, the higher priority. And so what we'll do, we'll identify, well, we work with the surface owner to have access agreements put in place. And, uh, and then we'll monitor a well for typically 30 to 60 days to start just to make sure that it fits and, like I said, qualifies the program. Oftentimes, Jason, we'll know like fairly quickly if it's, if it's going to fly. Uh, and then, then we go to the state and, you know, crazy as it may sound, we actually pay the state uh, of Montana and, and other states that we're working in. We actually write them a check. Uh, and, well, not them, but the bank, and we post a bond. So we actually pay uh, for the privilege of assuming the financial responsibility of plugging out the well. And uh, so, I don't know, call us crazy, but that's the direction, that's, that's the system, and that's what we do. And then from there, we start on a very uh, detailed monitoring regime that can go between you know, it started at nine months. We've actually got it whittled down to six right now. Um, and where we're, where we're monitoring on a monthly basis, we're currently we're running a series of 24-hour continuous tests on flow. We're testing the uh, concentration of the gas uh, footprint. And, uh, and then all that while, to your point earlier, yeah, we're, 
we're out raising money, right? We're beating the pavement, working with, you know, private individuals and corporations um, to raise the dollars to, to go out there and plug these wells. And, you know, we've got some great partners and some folks that are really, you know, taking an interest in what we're doing. They see the immediate benefit. And so, you know, um, gosh, we're kicking off this year, like I said, uh, 2021 with a plan for 30 wells. Uh, we're, we're plugging, actually we're planning to plug our first well on Earth Day, the 22nd of, of April, but we had somebody step up and, and wanted to do one earlier. So we're actually uh, plugging our first well next week. And so, and then we're just gonna keep on rolling. You know, a well a week is all we ask. A lot of these wells, of course, are still unknown, right? There's still ones in, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, that, you know, because of, of, of just, you know, rural land and, and, and the way wells were at the turn of the 19th century, uh, aren't there still abandoned wells and orphan wells that uh, nobody knows? They're just discovering new ones every day with drone footage and farmers hunting and that sort of thing? So let's talk a little bit about how they got to be orphan wells. We do know that, you know, 150 years ago, a lot of states didn't even have governments and Texas didn't have a railroad commission and North Dakota didn't have an industrial commission and that sort of thing. Uh, what happened? You know, um, there's this is a, not supposed to be a finger pointing session as much as what have we learned session. And I'll start it off where... Uh, I do know, and I've taken a look at, you know, that there are some issues when it comes to what states require in terms of maybe what's called a bond, I believe. So if a oil company goes bankrupt, well, that's just kind of the well gets left behind. I mean, if there's no money to do anything, you know, no offense, but things happen and life moves on and the poor farmer... He's not only not getting a mineral check anymore, now he's got this well sitting in his land. And isn't that kind of the reality of the situation, how something like that would, would happen? And then, you know, the bond doesn't necessarily cover the cost it would take to, to plug it and, and, and that sort of thing. Am I, am I following this right? Nope, you're absolutely right on the money, Jason. And, you know, through a series <laughs> of, of transfers, you know, and think about it, think of it, you know, and, you know, something that, near and dear to both our hearts, the same the Bakken field, right? Um, you know, before the Bakken field, there there was a lot of activity in 
for instance, into the, say, into the Three Forks or into the Red River. And, you know, uh, what happens is once a well depletes or a field depletes, then obviously its, its market value, you know, goes down significantly. And so what happens typically is that you end up with what are referred to as uh, stripper fields or stripper wells. And those are wells that have very marginal production and and the value just isn't there. So, you know, comparing that to Permian or to the Bakken, if you have a company that goes bankrupt today, well, there's, you know, five guys in line to swoop in and buy it for pennies on the dollar. You have, you know, kind of a mom and pop oil show go out of business somewhere out, you know, Cato County, Louisiana, where I was week before last, and you know what? You can't you can't give the well away, and uh, because of the liability point here, you know, to what you had mentioned earlier, is that you know, oftentimes the bonding from the legacy bonds. Now again, the, the good news is, what have we learned? The states have done a much better job of upping the bonding requirements and making sure those financial assurances are in place and are rock solid. But again, you know, back in the day, here we are holding this bag, and so yeah, that's kind of the that's the, what's happened is that, again through a series of transfers, through a series of, of uh, unfortunate events, these wells become orphan, they become wards of the state, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I joke about, and it's really not funny, but I, I you know often reference the fact that you know when we adopt a well, it is like adopting a child. I mean, you think about it, we're out here every month, you know, rain and snow and wind and sleet and hail and mud, you know, measuring these wells. And you sort of, you know, you sort of start to, you know, talk to yourself and talk to the wells and and create this relationship. And so, you know, for us, like I said earlier, when we bring a well into the family, you know, it's it's for keeps and um, and it's, it's fun to see. Now, you know, we're working with partners across the U.S. right now uh, to take the model that we've designed uh, right here in Montana and replicate that. And, you know, the reception that we've got from the regulatory agencies, uh, from the oil and gas producers has been just outstanding. I mean, it, those are the kind of days that, that re-energize me and keep me going, you know what I mean? So, Let's talk a little ESG, environmental social <laughs> governance. That's all yeah. of a sudden now, hey, people are willing to talk about it now. Boy, I tell you what, they escorted me out of the room a year ago and co- co- conferences. I got stuff thrown at me three years ago and I didn't even just bring it up. And But now every all those same people that escorted me out of the room, they want to educate me now on it. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm being a little bit of snarky here, but... <laughs> At the same time, you've experienced the same thing. In fact, um, I remember when you first started this this company, if my memory serves me, because I say I remember, uh, you had to change into a nonprofit because that was the only way to get dollars was you had to have the right certification by the state in order to get the tax write-off to where now, I almost wonder if, you know, if, if there isn't a market for this without having a nonprofit status because of the ESG certifications and how that trend seems to be going that way. Talk to me a little bit about 
how I, I, if I was right about the, the, the changing of the certification of, of the nonprofit status and then how you get the funding and that whole ESG movement and how it is changing things for somebody like yourself with these abandoned wells. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. In fact, um, I'm going to do a little sidebar uh, meeting here quick, folks. So I, I apologize if, if this is boring to you, but it's not to me because, you know, we ran into the same issue with the industrial forest. Uh, we, we struck out, man. We, we took the industrial forest out there. We thought this would work out. We've met with a dozen over a dozen companies and, you know, sent out the 500 emails and the whole deal, right? We, everybody said the same thing, table it, table it, table it. And we're thinking, this is planting trees. We have the city of Bismarck on board. We've got the, a place down in the Permian where we're going to actually use recycled frack water to water the trees. And this is an education industrial forest here. So, uh, it's solving problems, but they all went back to that whole nonprofit status and this and that type of a thing. And we were saying, no, actually, that, that's the problem because the nonprofits aren't 
having a sustainability plan. We do, because we actually had a sustainability plan. So we're meeting with the city of Bismarck next week um, to advance this a little bit further. And to your point, we're writing the script as well on that whole tree forest side, because every everybody who puts a tree in our forest, because um, we're going to do one in every state, uh, the industrial forest, there's a network. We've already got cities on waiting lists. Um, they're going to get registered with the, you know, the world carbon. There's three different agencies that you register. So we're, we're, we're doing all three just to cover our bases. You know, we don't know who's going to win in the end, but somebody's going to, because at the because truly what's going on here is the ESG script is being written and those people who have been a part of it the last five to 10 years are really stepping forward. It sounds like you guys are, we're working with a number of people as well uh, to where there's almost probably going to be, you're going to probably see an energy council started for this, for this very reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's happening, man. And it's happening fast because we'll look at API, you know, a- a- API came out and endorsed a, a carbon price and that was, you know, whether people are for it or against it, it's a 180. It's a complete, it's a complete 180. So the conversation has shifted and et cetera. So anyway, um, I might fold you in. I might call you during my meeting with Bismarck and, um, yeah, yeah. I look at it, you know, similar to our energy strategy, which is kind of all of the above. I think we really need to adopt that same type of an approach on the carbon side, right? And, you know, there's no, there's not one silver bullet we're finding, but, you know, it's, you know, our message hopefully is, you know, one well at a time. And, you know, if everybody does their part, I don't care what sector you're in, if you just lift, you know, a little bit harder or reach down and pick up, one more item on your way by just think about you know how much better it's going to be and that's the type of mindset that we want to encourage and so yeah whether it's a forestation project or or an agriculture project you know we're 100 percent behind it because you know it all makes a difference that's right the north dakota ag commissioner is going to be at the meeting too he's also on the industrial commission you um, doug, doug goring yeah oh yeah he's great doug is he's I always joke, he's like the most powerful man in North Dakota. And then he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. Because he sits on he sits on every committee. It doesn't matter if it's water or land or minerals. The guy sits on every single committee. He's just he's smart, smart like a fox, man. Anyway, uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about how people can uh, help you out, how they can help their company out, but more importantly, how they can help the environment out. So uh, you know, give give the people your best sales pitch, your best awareness, your best education pitch, because really at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help companies. We're trying to help states solve a problem. And we're also trying to help the environment. Absolutely. And you know what? It's, you know, it's, I look at it, Jason, how it can just be so overwhelming. You, know, you sit back as an individual or as a company and you just think to yourself, oh, my God, how can I make a difference? You know, such a huge issue, um, you know, uh, how can I even, how does what I do even matter? Well, it's, it's kind of that, you know, one bite at a time. And, you know, that's why we started, you know, retailing that ourselves, our climate benefit units, because, you know, for, 
for seven bucks a ton, you know, somebody can jump on the, our website, the www.welldonefoundation.com, and and they can either donate or they can buy a carbon or a climate benefit unit. They receive a nice certification, that, and it's you know it's got the opportunity in the future to be converted into uh, an American Carbon Registry program. So you know whether it's a, a single well adoption, you know, as an individual or as a company, uh, or again by just uh, one climate benefit unit, every little bit helps us. And you know, we're I, I tell you, those are some of the most meaningful communications that we get through our website or you know from the mail is when you know we'll get a five dollar check from somebody in Temecula, California, right, with a note. You know, hey, keep doing great things, and you know, you know that they had to dig deep to pull that out, and you know, those are that's the thing that, like I said, those are the types of little bright spots that keep us going in in what we're doing. We're not, you know, we're not a bunch of crazy, you know, climate evangelists. I mean, we're just normal people, right, trying to do the right thing, and that's really our message: is that if everybody does their part, just think of what we'll have. 